I want to invite everyone to open your Bibles to Genesis uh, today as we continue our uh, walk through the book of Genesis. We come to chapter 29. There was a man, uh, he was a French philosopher, and his name was Denis Diderot, and he's best for writing a book, and I'm going to teach you a really fancy word uh, in French today, so you can go home and tell your family all about it. Encyclope, <clears throat> sorry, I don't, I don't have my French down very well. Encyclopédie, encyclopédie, sorry, encyclopédie. Uh, okay, uh, it means encyclopedia in English, all right? Uh, so, <laughs> it, it wasn't the first encyclopedia, but it was unique in many ways, and it was the first, uh, or probably the first to be written solely for the purpose uh, to get as much knowledge to the general public as possible. So, uh, it's really a really good thing, and thank you, Diderot, uh, for all of our knowledge in, 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 in current day encyclopedies. Uh, but he's also famous for something else uh, called the Diderot effect. Now, what happened was Dennis Diderot lived his whole life in poverty. His house, his furniture, and clothes were all shabby. Uh, until he received a great deal of money as a gift. And along with this gift, he received a beautiful scarlet dressing gown like, like men used to wear. But because his new gown was so nice, it made all of his other possessions look even worse. So he decided in order for everything to match his dressing gown, he needed to update uh, a lot of other things. So his chair that he had for his straw chair that he had forever, he, he got rid of it and got one with Moroccan leather. Uh, he uh, had a, an old desk uh, that he, he had for a long time and he replaced it with an expensive writing table and he filled his house with expensive art. And, and what he ended up doing because of this, and this is why it's called the Diderot effect, is because the more he spent, the more he wanted to spend. And he ended up spending all his money and just kind of continued to live impoverished, uh, so to speak. In other words, what was happening, happening was that even though Dennis Diderot had a momentary gift that lifted him out of poverty, he wasn't ready to make a lifetime of it. Uh, the momentary gift did nothing to help him out of his situation, right? He needed to not just have a one-time momentary gift, but a lifetime of, of living that way. And we humans like moments, you know? Uh, we like uh, big epiphanies uh, or gifts, and, and often what we want is uh, we want God to give us those big epiphanies and and those big epiphanies or big god moments really make the rest of our lives you know look kind of boring in comparison but we love those moments we we want those moments that god is a presence is especially strong in our lives and jacob had a moment just like that right in the last chapter in 28 uh jacob had this gr an, an actual vision of god and heaven and the angels ascending and descending on this ladder to heaven he had this moment and, and praise God for those moments that, that we can see Him and, and feel Him in a very special and unique way. But I'm here to say today that, that God is not a God of moments, but a God of lifetime. 
what I mean is this. God is far more concerned with the direction of our lives and the ups and downs than He is in those special moments. Jacob realized a lot in the last chapter. You know, we, we've seen Jacob's life. He's a deceiver. He's a trickster. And in the last chapter, he was left with nothing. Uh, he realized a lot when God appeared to him and, and blessed him. But that moment that Jacob had was just the beginning. It was the starting point of all that Jacob still had yet to learn and grow into. This then becomes, the, chapter 29 becomes the pattern of Jacob's life and ours also. Not just a moment not just the moment that we're saved, not just a moment that we receive a, a, a revelation from God, maybe. Not like, I hope you guys know what I mean. Like, we like really feel God's presence. We're not, I don't know, we're not Pentecostals in here, you know what I mean? So we're not going to break out into um, uh, visions or anything like that. Maybe, I don't know. Anyway, we're not those moments, but, the, but a lifetime of God working in us and teaching us. So let's read uh, chapter 29, starting in verse 1. We'll read uh, 30 verses into the chapter. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. East, As he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large, and when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, My brothers, where do you come from? They said, We are from Haran. He said to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, We know him. He said to them, Is it well with him? They said, It is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. He said, Behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go, pasture them. But they said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jabin came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was the heir that he was her father's kinsman, and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things, and Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter Rachel. Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went to her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, What is this that you have done to me? 
Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, It is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his servant Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah, and served Laban for another seven years. Uh, in this chapter, Jacob meets his wife, Rachel, or the wife that he wanted. He actually meets his two wives. Uh, but really, this centers not on Jacob and his wives, but uh, Lab- Jacob and Laban. Uh, and, uh, and through this, God continues to teach Jacob humility. And that's, that's how we're going to frame the sermon, God teaching Jacob humility. And he does that in two ways. And the first is that God teaches humility through success. That's our first point. I mentioned how in the last chapter, Jacob had this great vision from God. It was a high point for Jacob. Uh, and even when we have high points, right, in our lives or in our Christian walk, we have like stars in our eyes, don't we? Uh, we, we want to just ride that wave as long as we can. Just like, wow, like God is so good or, or uh, God's being so good to me right now. We're just, we just want to ride that and want it to last the rest of our lives. But it's like a military victory or uh, perhaps like winning a, a, a baseball game or whatever. You can't let the victory sweep you off your feet, right? You have to, to keep your head. You have to stay level-headed. Every time we would score a goal in soccer, we would always like tell each other it's zero 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 zero, right? Uh, to like remind ourselves that the stakes were still high, even though we had scored a point or whatever. You couldn't let that stuff uh, swell you up or distract you. And and honestly, this is kind of how this chapter begins. Like Jacob has this great vision from God. God promises to bless him. Right, so I would say that's a high point. But then, like, at, uh, he comes to this land of Haran and finds a bunch of shepherds around well who know Laban, precisely the man he's trying to find. So God, right off the bat, is granting him success, and it's great. Like Jacob kind of goes from this uh, um, situation where he's retreating from Esau, he's laying his head on a stinking rock. God appears to him, uh, you know, out of there, blesses him, and then, whoa! From then on out. He's finding success. He finds Laban. He finds Rachel. He's what he's looking for. And in reading this, we are supposed to see a parallel to back to chapter 24. Right? Remember, uh, Abraham sends his servant to find a wife for Isaac. And Isaac runs into shepherds also. And, and uh, Rebekah comes out with, with sheep. And, and he, he gives her uh, all these jewelry and everything. So we are to find parallels between these two chapters. And even though God is not explicitly mentioned here at this point in the chapter, we are to read this as divine intervention. Right? God leading his people to success. God leading Jacob to success. God's behind this, right? This is not a happenstance situation. But even with this great vision that he had, even with the blessing of God, even with finding success, it doesn't give him the excuse to act as if everything is going to go his way or to uh, be arrogant. So he tells the shepherds in verse 7, 
hey, it's not time. It's not a time of day for y'all to just be hanging out. Like, you, you got to water your sheep and go and find them food. Uh, and the shepherd respond, nope, can't do that. Okay. Now, I, I want to bring us to the 21st century for a moment into the world of Willis Covington as a parent. Uh, and I can, uh, all right, um, I have many um, failed stories and some success stories. Um, but I can tell Willa to do something like clean her room. Right? But it, what if I'm not willing to do that myself for like our house or, or my room? Like if, if our house was continually a mess and we didn't try to clean it up and we just tell her to clean it up, right? What is that going to say to her? I'm sure you've heard the expression, good leaders lead by example, right? But here, you have this group of adult shepherds basically unwilling to do this task. And humility, humility is sometimes doing something that nobody else is willing to do. Or nobody else wants to do. Especially, listen, if you're in Jacob's situation and you're riding a wave of success. So Jacob knows that he's not above these shepherds. And he is not above serving others. He he not only, when Rachel comes, he not only rolls away the stone, but takes it upon himself to water the entire flock. God's vision and his design is to work in us for a lifetime, not just moments. Jacob had his moment. He was blessed, he found success, but God is still working in him to form humility, and in this case, kind of testing him to see if he'll still be willing to do a task others are not willing to do, or to serve somebody. Praise God for the moments that he appears to you and speaks to you. Praise God for our mountaintop moments. But the danger is that when we begin to rely on those moments in order to stay faithful, when in reality, God wants to continue to work humility in us through them. And one way he does that is to send opportunities our way, right, in those moments, right? Are we going to, like, ride on these waves of success or bliss ourselves, or are we taking opportunities to serve? to exalt others, to exercise humility. My point is to show that God, his intention is that he wants to work humility even through success, even through moments of success, moments of blessing, so to speak. And and that's kind of surprising, isn't it? We don't normally think of God wanting to when he wants when we think of God wanting to give us humility, we don't think of like moments of blessing, we think of uh, moments of challenge, right? So that's why sometimes we're afraid God made me more patient. Because what do you expect? You don't expect blessing and success. You expect, oh man, I mean, uh, kids to go crazy, uh, drivers to go crazy, coworkers to go crazy. You expect things to just kind of start unraveling. So it's a little surprising for us to see that God wants to do that, but He does. God wants to use all circumstances, including success and blessing, to teach us humility. But that also means 
you guessed it, that God teaches us humility through difficulty. Our second point. Uh, and, and here at this point, we, we come to the uh, crux of this chapter, right? So uh, Jacob finds the shepherds, he meets Rachel, he uh, uncovers a stone, waters her sheep, she runs to Laban, and, and when Jacob and Laban meet, and their interaction with each other, that's the crux of this episode. Laban finds out Jacob, it comes from Isaac and Rebekah, Rebekah is his sister, and he welcomes his to his house, and then after a while, like Jacob's there, and Laban's like, "Hey, maybe I should pay you." You know, like kind of like a manager. You know, you work for a manager for some time, and they're like, oh, "That's right, you work for me. Maybe I should give you some recognition, right?" Like uh, Harlan Dairy, right, or uh, Dairy Farmers America. Is that how that works? But but in Laban. What in Laban in this chapter, Jacob meets his own reflection. Jacob meets him himself in Laban. So Jacob asks Laban, right, uh, you know what? I'm going to work for you for seven years if you will let me uh, marry Rachel. And, and Laban agrees to it. Now, I'm not here to explain everything that happens next because I don't really fully explain everything that happens uh, in, in verses uh, 21 and uh, 25. Uh, yeah, so Jacob serves Laban for seven years, and the night of the wedding comes. Um, Laban throws a big feast, and I'm sure there's a lot of partying. Okay, uh, Jacob was probably not in his right mind at the time, maybe a little topsy-turvy. Uh, and uh, plus, it was probably dark, right? So they don't have lights in buildings. They have candles, and even those candles make dimly lit rooms. And then you have veils, right, that stayed on, uh, really, really thick veils, uh, but, you know, and a lot could be said about Jacob here, like, like he's acting very male, isn't he? Just like, you know, he's, okay, uh, so, um, well, it turns out the girl that he marries and sleeps with is not Rachel, but her sister, Leah. Laban tricks Jacob. And so surely we are meant to see Jacob getting a taste of his own medicine. Jacob being a trickster and a deceiver his whole life, getting a dose of his own medicine. And, and listen to Laban's words, right, in, in verse 26. They would have sounded especially poignant to Jacob. Verse 26, It is not so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Laban's words reflect exactly Jacob's situation with Esau. And, and remember, I don't know if you guys remember that sermon in that chapter, we saw that there was a lot of mix of sin and righteousness in that chapter. Right? And even though Jacob is the one God wanted to bless, he walked away with it essentially through sin and deception. So he's, he's Got the blessing, he's got the birthright, vision from God, finding success, God is with him, but he still faced the consequences of his actions in the form of Laban tricking Jacob. And God certainly uses consequences to teach us humility. Uh, and this is, listen, this is why true humility accepts consequences. True humility says... I have done wrong, and I accept the outcome no matter how damaging it might be to me. 
In other words, as, as we all know in this room, and as Paul wrote in Galatians 6, a man reaps what he sows. And God teaches us humility through our consequences, like praise God for consequences, and true humility accepts them. So Jacob, you know, he has to work an additional seven years for Rachel. And it's through the irony of all of this that we see God's sovereignty at work, right? Moses, the author, is showing us that this isn't just coincidental. It's not like oh, one trickster meets another, but, but God is behind all of this. It's, it's, that how, it's to show this is how all of history works, and God is behind history, and so history is, is full of irony. History is ironic. Um, one recent example I have of this that I, you know I, I don't believe in consequences because or consequences I do I do believe in consequences uh, I don't believe in coincidences uh, because of God's sovereignty I believe that irony happens for a reason and I, I don't want to make too much of this but I did find this ironic that uh, in 2015 there was a lion that was shot. And, I, you know, respect for living things, and, and, and yes, absolutely. But his name was Cecil, Cecil the Lion. You may remember seeing him. And the world was outraged that Cecil the Lion uh, was shot and killed. At the same time, I found it ironic that um, Planned Parenthood was being busted, uh, right, for uh, essentially selling baby parts. And the president at the time of Planned Parenthood was also named Cecil. Uh, and so I found that to be a great irony, right? That we are ah, over this Cecil, but this Cecil is not so much, right? That's an example of what I mean. History is full of this kind of irony because God is behind it. So Jacob's facing his consequences here in Laban, but we should also see something else that Laban was intentionally put in Jacob's life to accomplish God's purposes for him. Laban was not a mistake, and he wasn't a roadblock or a mishap, but a divine intention. Which means that God not only teaches us humility through consequence, but through difficult people. I'm here to tell you today that the difficult people in your life are put there by the sovereign hand of God. Doesn't that taste just like prescription cough medicine? I don't like that. A difficult coworker, difficult boss, difficult friend, difficult kid in our class, in our home, difficult family. I'm going to take this even a step further and say we need difficult people, especially in the church. That's kind of hard for me to say as a pastor because I prefer not to have to pass. I want to pastor easy people, right? People that don't cause a lot, a lot of trouble. No one here causes trouble, right? But when Paul is writing at the end of Romans in chapters 14 and 15, he's, he's writing about two different kinds of people. He's writing about people strong in faith and people weak in faith. And another way of saying this is there was a bunch of difficult people trying to do church together. I mean, if you think about the disagreements that were primarily between Gentile and Jew, they were far more 
uh, deep than ours would be about like vaccines or mass quarantines or politics. You take the heat of our current cultural moment and try to put that together in a church and amplify that in the Jew and Gentile disagreements, that's what you have at the church in Rome. But here's the deal. Here's kind of one way to summarize what Paul is saying. They needed each other. The strong need the weak, and the weak need the strong. God built His church intentionally with those who are weak in faith and those who are strong in faith, which means He builds His church intentionally with Christians who are difficult. Which is to say all of us at some point or other, He does not build it in any other way. There is no church without strong and weak. Without difficult people. And while we can list caveats about division and sin and things like that, the point is that difficult people, even in the church, are not obstacles, but part of God's design to work humility in you. Um, There's tons of nuance to that. You know, uh, it could be such a difficult situation that's causing marital problems or problems in the home. Uh, Like I said, sin and and division are all kind of nuances to this. But generally speaking, difficult people are God's design to work humility in us. Laban was necessary in Jacob's life, and so were those that we find difficult. And and here's something else. (laughs) Let me go further. Just like Laban, those difficult people are often a mirror that give us the opportunity to see our own sin that's tangled up in all of our frustrations and impatience with them. Laban was meant to be a mirror for Jacob to see himself in all his own ugliness. We, We kind of escape this, don't we, by complaining about the difficult people more than we do reflecting how we see our own hearts in them. Don't discount what God wants to teach you and work in you through difficult people and don't discount His grace that is enough for you. But as I try to accomplish every week or show every week is that Scripture isn't here to teach us mere morals, although it does teach us morals. And it's not here to teach teach us simple theology, although it does teach us theology, but to point us to Jesus. We we always want our faith to be directed to Him. And, And He is not only our example in this, but also our substitute. So Jesus is our example because He constantly surrounded Himself with difficult people. The The sick... The poor, the needy, the demon-possessed? I mean, when was the last time you hung out with a demon-possessed person? Even his disciples, even the people that were supposed to get it were frustrating and difficult. And he is our substitute because by the Father's plan, he allowed himself to be deceived by Judas. He, he wasn't fooled. He knew exactly what he was doing. And the thing is, Jesus was 
deceived for a bride as well. A bride who wasn't desirable or attractive, but a bride who was sinful and wayward and blind. And he didn't do it reluctantly, but gladly and affectionately for her. Church, Jesus was betrayed for you. Deceptively betrayed. For your sin. And what I want us to do is, is just repent to Him anew and respond to Him with fresh devotion and fresh humility this morning. A repentance over trying to resist the humility that He wants to work in us. Let's respond with fresh faith and devotion to Christ this morning. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank You that You are the greater Jacob. The greater Jacob who left his heavenly birthright. The greater Jacob who left his heavenly blessing behind. The greater Jacob who came into a sick and sinful world. The greater Jacob who was deceived willingly. To be led to a cross to die for his bride. Your church. We, your church, in this room. That the king of heaven who holds the birthright and the blessing would stoop so low for even lower creatures. Creatures who are born from dust and eat dust with our sin. You would empty yourself to such a degree to save such a creature because of your divine love for us. Lord Jesus, we are not an attractive bride. We are wayward. We are faithless. Often we sin. But Lord, we plead not our own righteousness. We plead not ourselves, but what you have accomplished for us. We do not deserve it, but by your grace, you make us worthy. You make us whole. You make us holy. You make us righteous. Teach us humility, Lord Jesus. Work humility in us. Lord, in, in successes and in blessing, we pray that you would find us faithful and humble that we would serve the least of these and Lord we pray that in difficulty your purposes would be accomplished for us that our sorrow would be turned to joy by faith in you you are a good savior a good Lord and a good husband redeemer and it's in your name that we